We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, Convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com gold today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot gold. Okay, everybody. Welcome again. It's coming, becoming a habit here to do these podcasts live and with video. I think the 2023 financial crisis has just gone global. That's another thing it has in common with the 2008 financial crisis. In fact, a lot of things are in common. I mean, first of all, the Federal Reserve created both of them, yet predicted none of them. And I began predicting the 2023 financial crisis in 2009. I just didn't know what year it was going to be. Now, in all honesty, back in 2009, I did not expect the second crisis to hit in 2023. There's no way that I thought we would make it this long. But a lot of things happened that I wasn't able to foresee 15 years ago to elongate the process. But the reason I was able to predict that we would have this crisis Of course, I couldn't predict precisely when. I mean, I'm not clairvoyant. I just understand basic economics, which unfortunately most people don't, including all of the members of the Federal Open Market Committee. These guys are clueless. But the reason that I knew that the 2008 financial crisis was coming, and again, back in 2002, 2003, when I really first started warning about it, I didn't know it hit in 2008 either. I just knew it was coming. But the reason I knew that was because I understood the consequences of the Federal Reserve's monetary policy mistakes. The Federal Reserve didn't know the consequences. They didn't even know they were making mistakes. And neither did anybody else. And so I warned and warned and warned, and I was a laughing stock. I got the nickname Dr. Doom. But at least, you know, at least I was out there. They had me on the mainstream media quite often to warn about this and then just make fun of me. But then in 2008, all these predictions that I've been making for years, they came true. And what happened was when the Federal Reserve and the government did everything wrong in 2009, in fact, they did all the wrong things I predicted they would do before the financial crisis, I knew that they had just sown the seeds of the next even greater financial crisis. And now, 15 years later, here we are. Now, another thing that the 2023 financial crisis has in common with the 08 financial crisis 
is that when the 2008 financial crisis first began, nobody knew it was a financial crisis. Everybody in the mainstream media saw the early signs of the crisis, and they just dismissed it. I mean, I'm not even talking about subprime being contained, because that was 2007. I'm talking about later in 2008. We started to see the cracks early before the shit hit the fan, right? And when you got those first, you know, clear-cut warning signs that this was a big problem, the media dismissed it. Okay, it's no big deal. It's an isolated event. The government will take care of it. You know, everything is fine. You know, buy the stock market. It's Everything is good, right? That's what they thought in early 2008. Now, a few days or weeks later, it was, oh my God, we need a massive bailout. You know, this is the end of the world, right? So things change very quickly. And to me, it looks like that's exactly what's happening now, right? First, it's like, oh, this Silicon Valley bank, Oh, it's just a unique event. You know, these guys were just a bunch of morons who happen to be running this bank. You know, they're just, everybody else is a genius. Just these guys were the only idiots, right? Inexperienced, didn't know what they were doing. Well, if they were that stupid, why didn't anybody know about it in advance? Why didn't anybody warn that we had a bunch of morons and incompetence running the uh, Silicon Valley Bank? You know, why didn't any of the regulators uh, do something about the incompetent people that were running this bank? The reality is, they're, they're just as competent as everybody else. I mean, everybody else is doing the same thing. I mean, maybe not everybody. I'm sure there are some sound banks out there. After all, we got a lot of banks out there. Uh, but a lot of them have done exactly what Silicon Valley Bank did, of course, including Signature Bank, which is uh, also failed. You know, here is another ironic, unintended consequence of the moronic decision to cover all of the deposits, including the uninsured deposits of uh, Signature Bank and of uh, uh, Silicon Valley Bank. And even, I didn't even talk about this one on my last podcast. But, you know, now even other people are talking about it. But here's the, 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 the consequence, the irony of all this. And this is why the government shouldn't be doing it. And, or one reason. There are a whole bunch of reasons why they shouldn't be doing it. But when the government bailed out these two banks, it was a special exception for these banks because they haven't actually changed the law. The law still is that it's only 250000 that's insured. But the government said, oh, this is an emergency. These two banks, I don't know if they're systemically important or however they designated it, but it's like an emergency. And so we're going to extend this protection to these banks. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that any other banks enjoy the same protection. For now, it's just these two banks where we're going to cover all of the deposits. Now, here's the problem. Now, the government has said these two banks, these insolvent banks that were run by a bunch of morons, this is where you want to put your money. If you've got your money in any other bank, take it out and put it in this bank. That's what people are doing. Because if you have your money at another bank that does not have this protection, right, and then you have $2 million, $3 million, $5 million, why would you leave it there? Because if that bank fails, and of course it could, there's no guarantee that the government is going to decide to cover all the deposits of that bank. But we know already that if you move your money 
to Silicon Valley Bank or Signature Bank, the government's got you covered. So now what the government has done inadvertently is they've created a run on probably a bunch of solvent banks because now depositors want to withdraw their money from these better run solvent banks and deposit it into this insolvent bank that is now being run by the government. I mean, the government is probably the least competent of anybody to run a bank, but now because nobody can lose money in this bank, no matter how stupid they are, no matter what dumb things they do with it, because the U.S. government, the Federal Reserve said, don't worry, you'll never lose a penny in this bank. Well, how can the other banks that don't have that guarantee compete? This is the moral hazard. So now you basically have the too big to fail banks, and that's like a handful of banks where you know, hey, I can put my money at J.P. Morgan, I can put it at Bank of America, right? Because the government will never let those banks fail. No matter what stupid things they do with my money, no matter how much money they lose, they're never going to fail. They're just going to have an open-ended flood of money coming from the government. So I can put my money there, right? Who cares how incompetent those guys are? Now you've also got these other couple of banks where, okay, these aren't these too big to fail systemically important banks, but whatever, they've already been designated by the government. You put your money in here and you can't lose. All the other banks, thousands of banks, they're all suspect. This is the opposite of capitalism. So instead of people sending their money to the solvent banks, they're sending them to the least solvent, most insolvent banks out there. This is what the government is doing. It is screwing up an economy they've already screwed up, and this is not capitalism. You know, this is ironic or ridiculous, and I'm not making this up, right? Jim Cramer on CNBC, and you know, by the way, of course, Jim Cramer earlier in the year was recommending that people invest by stock in Signature Bank and Silicon Valley Bank. What are the odds of that? Two of the first banks to fail were on top of his recommended list, right? You got zero, you lost 100%, right? That's the only place now where capitalism supposedly exists is if you buy stock in a bank and the bank goes out of business, well, then you lose, right? So at least we got that little bit of capitalism left, which is one of the reasons that these bank stocks are now getting killed because people realize they're up on a high wire without a, a net. But getting back to what Jim Cramer said on CNBC today, he said that, you know, we can't expect consumers, the public, to do any due diligence or do any research on banks, right? They, they, they can't be responsible. We can't say, hey, you guys have to make sure that you're putting your money in a solid bank, right? That's, that's something that we just can't expect the public to do. We need the government, right, to do that. And I forget who was on with him, another anchor, and he agreed. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you know, this is something that we can't leave up to the market or capitalism. What a bunch of crap. You got a bunch of socialists who are the spokesman for this major financial network. This is a crock. Of course we can let consumers judge the safety of banks. I mean, they did that before we had the FDIC. Do you think Americans were smarter 100 years ago? Well, actually, yeah, you know, that's a kind of a dumb question. They were a lot smarter 100 years ago, but they have access to better information today than people had 100 years ago. So if you're your typical American moron because you've been indoctrinated by the government-run school system, you can still figure out which bank to put your money in assuming we had no FDIC. You don't have to have a degree in accounting or finance or economics. Look, 
Americans buy stuff all the time. People buy computers. How many people know anything about computers? I mean, really, can anybody program them? Are they computer science majors? Right, do you know anything about electronics? Well, how do you know what computer to buy? How do you know what cell phone to buy? Or what you know, television? I don't know anything about how they work. I couldn't build one. I don't know anything. But I do a little research. I trust people who know more than I do. You have all sorts of consumer reports. You can go and you know, ask questions or shop around and, and figure it out. That's what happens in capitalism. You know, I just bought a bunch of equipment for a wellness uh, center that I'm kind of you know, putting together at my house here in Puerto Rico. Now I'm going to be 60 in a week, and I start to think about my own mortality, and I'm trying to do things to you know, extend my life expectancy. And you know, one thing I started doing was intermittent fasting. Um, I was working out, um, taking a lot of supplements. But I'm also trying to do things. Uh, you know, I, I just, in fact, I just came back today. I was at a place around the corner. I did this NAD drip. I've been doing those, some other stuff. But what I'm doing in my house is I went out and bought a, a hyperbaric chamber, a cryo chamber, all electric cryo chamber, and a, a red light therapy bed, right? And I'm, I'm putting all these, and I'm going to use all this stuff. <laughs> and Hopefully, maybe I'll, I'll add 10 years to my life and maybe I'll feel better. We'll see, right? And I, I'll talk to everybody about the success of these uh, various products and, and how they, they make me feel. But you think I know how these things work? No. Well, then how was I able to buy them? I did a lot of research. I just didn't buy one. I, I spent a lot of time researching the various products that were out there. I talked to people in the industry. I talked to doctors to try to get their opinions on these various uh, you know, things that I could buy and, 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 and what they did and, and what I needed to look for. So I did a lot of homework. I don't know anything about how these things operate. I couldn't build one myself, but I didn't need the government to tell me which one to buy. Right? I, I figured it out on my own. And, and the same thing would happen with bank accounts. Yes, you can be a complete moron, but you could figure out where you should open up a bank account. They would have consumer reports. They would rate banks. They'd say, hey, these are the safe banks. You want to put money in a bank? Trust this one. Or maybe you can look and see where smarter people are putting their money, right? You know, who has, where does it, where's the smart money banking, right? It would be very easy for the free market to figure this out. For somebody to pretend that they're capitalism and then say that capitalism doesn't work in banking, it works with everything else, but the American people are too dumb to figure out where to put their money, so we're going to put the government in charge? What, the government's not any smarter. In fact, they're dumber. See, here's the problem. When individuals are trying to figure out where to put their money, it's their money. They got skin in the game. The reason that nobody does any homework is nobody cares because that's the moral hazard of the FDIC. The government says, we got you covered. But if there was no FDIC, individuals would do a much better job of finding a safe place for their own money where they bear the consequences if they, they do a bad job than a bureaucrat, some faceless bureaucrat who doesn't even know who you are and none of it is his money. He can be incompetent. He can be bribed. Who knows? But it's ridiculous to believe uh, that we need the government to protect us. We need, the, we need protection from government. 
That's what we need. That's why we're supposed to have a constitution, right, that's enforced to limit the power of government, and we're supposed to be on real money. We're not supposed to have a Federal Reserve or a central bank and all this fiat money. We're supposed to have gold. We're supposed to have honest, real money, and if we did that, we wouldn't have any of these problems. You know, another idiotic thing that Jim Cramer said on CNBC today, he was talking about inflation, and he said that what the government should do to crack down on inflation is really come after these companies that are raising prices and make them feel like they're being unpatriotic, to really yell at them and publicly scold them for raising prices. I mean, what nonsense. They have no choice. They have to raise prices. Inflation is driving up their costs. If they don't raise prices, they're going to go out of business. Is that better, that these companies go out of business? How can one person have such little understanding of basic economics, yet this is their big expert who's giving everybody our financial advice. Talk about the blind leading the blind. This is almost like price controls, right? It's just not, instead of a law that limits raising prices, we publicly shame you if you raise prices. How dare you raise your prices? You're causing inflation. You're harming the economy. You know, this is the worst possible advice or commentary, and you're getting it on, you know, what's supposedly this premier uh, financial network. You know, hopefully by the time this financial crisis runs its course, uh, maybe that network will be out of business. Although, you know, they do give me a lot of material for this podcast. So for that respect, you know, I, you know, I guess I like having them around, but a lot of people are losing a lot of money uh, because they're being led astray uh, by, by all this uh, propaganda or, or, no, it's not government, but just misinformation that is being disseminated on a daily basis <laughs> on that network. As a public person, I am hyper aware of safety and security. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online, and it makes sure it stays offline. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process, helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information information you want deleted and their experts will take it from there. Delete Me sends you regular personalized privacy reports showing what information they found, where they found it, and what they removed. Delete Me isn't just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information that you don't want on the internet. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for my listeners. Today get 20% off your Delete Me plan with when you go to joindeleteme.com slash gold and use the promo code gold at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash gold and enter code gold at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash gold, code gold. Okay, so I want to get back to what I started to talk about before I kind of uh, went off on a couple of tangents, although not total tangents because they're very relevant to what's going on. But I, I mentioned that the 2023 financial crisis has gone global. And so what set off the collapse today, although we did have a pretty big rebound in the Dow Jones. At one point, it was down about 700 points. And the biggest losers were the banks, which I don't own, but also a lot of commodity stocks, a lot of oil stocks, which I do own. They got clobbered today. Oil was down by the close, only about three bucks, but it was down like five dollars intraday. We got below sixty-six dollars a barrel 
on crude. We settled, I think, at 68.31. And the Dow was only down 280 after being down over 700. But the financials still very weak on the day. And what led the decline was Credit Suisse, which, you know, this stock has been under pressure for years, hitting a new 52-week low today, closing again off the low. It was down 14% on the day, closed at $2.16. But the low intraday was $1.75. Right? This stock was $80 before the 2008 financial crisis. So it's, it's practically zero based on what it was back then. In fact, I think the Swiss National Bank came out today and said they're willing to supply liquidity if needed. You know, what else is new, right? Even the Swiss are, are doing this nonsense. But what sparked the sell-off was the largest investor, which I believe is uh, Saudi Arabia, a sovereign wealth fund. They have about 10% of Credit Suisse. Uh, they announced that they're not buying any more stock. I mean, I didn't even know they were selling stock. I mean, probably they have to raise equity, but they basically said, we're done. You know, so if you're gonna raise equity, don't, don't look at us. We're not putting any more money in. And I think that scared people because if they're not gonna put any money in, why should anybody else? And that, you know, that, that does make sense, right? They're probably, hey, we're tapped out. I mean, that's it, we don't wanna lose any more. Uh, and you know, the biggest mistake that Credit Suisse made, and I, I pointed this out. This is another thing I got right. I pointed this out in real time. They bought First Boston in the United States, right? They, they wanted to get into the U.S. market. And I said that they were wrong, that getting into the U.S. market would be a big mistake. They'd end up losing a bunch of money. And, of course, that's exactly uh, what they did. They lost a lot of money on their U.S.-based businesses. And a lot of it had to do with, you know, regulators clamping down and all that on their, their U.S. businesses. So they got nobody but themselves to blame uh, for getting involved in the U.S. Uh, financial system. Um, but what happened over there spilled over all the European banks pretty much got beaten up. Most of them hitting 52 week lows, although year to date, uh, the banks in Europe are down a lot less than the banks in the United States, right? So our problems are, are far more advanced, but you know, there's, there's a contingent here because, you know, all these banks are doing business with, with one another and, you know, they all have everybody else's liabilities as their assets on their books. So it's, you know, it, there's a lot of contagion, right? That's how the financial crisis went global in 2008, and it's going global now. See, the big difference, though, is I think the government is going to react quicker than it did then as far as opening up the spigots, right? Even though inflation's a problem. Now, it's possible that I'm wrong and that maybe... The central bankers have finally figured out the errors of their ways, and they're not going to go and do quantitative easing, even though they're already doing it. Because what they're doing by bailing out these banks and swapping treasuries and mortgage-backed securities for newly created dollars, that is QE. I don't care what you call it. It's exactly the same thing. The Federal Reserve takes government debt and mortgage-backed securities onto its balance sheet and replaces it with cash that it creates out of thin air, right? Because where does the Federal Reserve get the money? I mean, not from its operating income, because it doesn't have any. The Federal Reserve is losing a fortune. So you have a bank that is losing money, bailing out other banks that are losing money. Where is it getting the money? It's printing it. It's creating inflation, right? They don't want to acknowledge that it's QE, and they also don't want to call it a bailout, right? The two things they're doing they don't want to admit. They don't want to say that they're bailing anybody out because they are, 
but the public doesn't like bailouts. And I think the public doesn't really like QA anymore, QE anymore. So they don't want to call it QE. But they're doing that. They're bailing out everybody, but they don't want to call it a bailout. They're doing QE, but they don't want to call it QE, but that's what it is. And the result, of course, is going to be inflation. And that's the big difference because inflation is already running at 6%. You know, we got the CPI that came out yesterday. And it came out pretty much exactly as expected. And when it came out exactly as expected, although the core CPI was a little bit hotter, I'm pulling up the numbers now, they were looking for a 0.4 increase in the February CPI. And we got that. We got exactly 0.4. Year over year, they were looking for up 6%. We got 6%. X Food and Energy, right, the core, they were looking at up 0.4 or looking for up 0.4. We got up 0.5, a little bit hotter. And the year over year core, they were looking for up 5.5. We got up 5.5. And so the initial reaction yesterday, you know, the markets rallied yesterday. And, and this was part of the reason they said, oh, inflation is not worse than we thought, right? That's where the bar is now. It's not that it's better. It's just not worse, but it's still bad. We've still got 6% year over year inflation. We still had a month over month increase of 0.4. That is nowhere close to an annualized rate of 2%. And the mark, the Fed has already finished hiking rates, right? I mean, they may not know that yet. They're supposed to hike rates next week. How could they possibly do that? You know, some people are saying, well, they have to do it to save face. How does that save face? They'll even look more foolish if they raise rates next week and then have to cut them the week after that. I mean, they're going to look less foolish, I guess, if they don't hike anymore. The worst thing they could do for their ridiculous credibility is to hike rates next week and then cut them the week after that. I mean, they have to look at what's going on. They said they were data dependent. How much more data do they need? They need an elephant to fall on their head? I mean, obviously, there's massive economic damage. We're in the middle of a financial crisis. Now, inflation is not going away because that was never going to happen. There was no way these rate hikes were going to bring the inflation rate down. But the Fed was able to pretend that that was going to happen as long as it could pretend the economy could withstand uh, the medicine. But it couldn't. The medicine has already killed it. Now, the disease is going to kill it also. So the Fed is damned if it does or, and damned if it doesn't. But, you know, they tried to preserve what credibility they had. They already look foolish because last week they told Congress or Powell told Congress, everything is great. The economy is in great shape. And we were a week away from a financial crisis. This, the Federal Reserve regulates all these banks, right? Apparently, you had all these morons running one of the biggest banks in the country with this upside-down mortgage-backed portfolio, treasury portfolio. You had guys from the Federal Reserve working at uh, Silicon Valley Bank, yet they didn't know about this? That should show you how incompetent these guys are. If they didn't know about this, what else don't they know about that's right underneath their nose? So... They already look pretty foolish based on what they said. But if they then try to save face by going a quarter point, I mean, Powell kind of got the market ready a week ago for a half point, right? That's why gold sold off. That's why the dollar went up, because we were going to get a half point rate hike because we had a super strong economy with a red hot labor market, right? No problem. 
Well, now that we're in a financial crisis and we're having to bail out banks, right, what does that tell you about this so-called strong economy? We don't have one. It was an illusion, which was exactly what I've been saying the entire time. Again, I have been saying that it's impossible for the Fed to fight inflation without creating a financial crisis. I said it's not just a matter of whether or not we're going to have a recession. That's a sure thing. We're going to have something way worse than a recession because we're going to have a financial crisis. But what I do think is going to happen is the Fed is going to be very quick to turn on these spigots. That's my opinion. I don't think they're going to do the right thing and and keep fighting inflation. I think they're going to point to maybe the big drop in oil prices today. And they're going to say, well, you see, inflation is coming down because this financial crisis, demand is being destroyed. No, as soon as they fire up those presses, prices are going to take off. You know, a lot of people don't realize that the Fed has pivoted, right? I don't even know if the Fed realizes it yet. They have. The minute they signed on to this bailout, that was a pivot, right? Whether they want to officially acknowledge it, just like they don't want to acknowledge it's a bailout. They don't want to acknowledge they're doing QE. They don't want to acknowledge they pivoted. But they have, right? you got to read the writing on the wall. You know, one of the great opportunities is to buy the gold stocks. Unbelievable. Gold was one of the few things that was up today. At one point, it was up over $30 an ounce. But when it was up over $30 an ounce, the GDX and the GDXJ were negative. <laughs> and they closed negative on a day. You had a few stocks, Newmont Mining, one of the big gainers you know, of the day. But most of the stocks were down even when gold was on its highs. Why? Well, the dollar was very strong today because the new problems, the new bombshells were dropped in Europe. And so there was a flight to the dollar, although there was a bigger flight to gold because gold went up even in dollar terms. But it really went up in euro terms, in Swiss franc, in yen, in pound terms. The dollar index was up about a full point on the day. Let me take a look at where it closed, up 1.136. We're back at 104.73. Now, I don't think the dollar is going to hold these gains, but the gains on the day, I think, uh, hurt gold stocks. But they should have just followed the gold price up. They didn't. Investors are still gun-shy about pulling the trigger on gold stocks. Oil was way down today. That's bullish for gold stocks because oil is a big part of the cost of a you know, gold mining company. So the price of the gold they're mining went up and the, um, the cost of the oil they need to mine, it went down. Plus, the dollar went up. A lot of these companies, their wages are in foreign currencies. They're not in dollars. So their labor costs went down. This was a fundamentally very bullish day for the gold, mark, gold stocks. But if you understand the big picture, we are close to massive breakout in inflation. Right. I've been saying from the beginning, the way this thing ends, the end game is runaway inflation, soaring inflation, worst case scenario, hyperinflation. This is the best possible thing for gold. Gold is very close to a major surge. That is going to be the difference, I believe, between the 2008 financial crisis, where gold initially sold off, and the 2023 financial crisis, where it's just going to take off. The question is, how many more days do we have before it explodes upward? Because inflation is a problem now. It wasn't a problem back then. Yes, prices started to rise, the CPI started to inch up, but nobody was really concerned much about inflation. And of course, the minute the financial crisis happened, the dollar soared. 
I mean, not the little bit of a rise, because the dollar index back in August of 20, of 2008, dollar index was down at around 70. It was near its all-time record low, or at the time. Yeah, that was an all-time record low. The dollar is near highs now. The crisis is starting when the dollar is high, not low, and it's likely to sell off. Gold, in 2008, when gold was at about 1,000, it had gone up from under 300. Gold had tripled. Gold was at the peak of a big bull market. Now, gold has just finished a 10-year consolidation. Gold is not overbought. If anything, it's oversold and underowned. So the circumstances for gold and the dollar are very different entering the 2023 crisis than they were entering the 2008 crisis. Gold and the dollar are more similar to where they were in 2000 when the NASDAQ bubble popped. That's when gold was under 300, and that's when the dollar index was up at 120. And that's when we had the big drop in the dollar and the big rise in gold. So what's going to be different is inflation. And everybody still thinks that you know, the recession is going to cure inflation. They don't realize that it's going to be the catalyst to make it worse. Because look at what's happening in the bond market. Bond prices are soaring, particularly on the short end. Yields are collapsing. You know, when I did my podcast, I think not maybe last week, during last week, I forget which one, the yield on a two-year treasury was over 5%. Today, it traded below 4%. That is a huge move in a two-year treasury. In under a week, the entire yield curve. And I think I, I mentioned on the last podcast, because my last podcast, the six-month treasury bill was the high end of the curve. And I said, I thought before long, we would get the three-month treasury bill as the high end, because that's never happened yet. Well, it happened today. The yield on a three-month treasury is now higher than the yield on a six-month treasury, and the yield on a three-month treasury is lower than the Fed funds rate, which is four and three quarters. So what is that telling you? The market within the next three months, six months, is expecting rate cuts from where they are right now. So even if the Fed hikes a quarter point uh, next week, they're going to have to cut rates by a half point or a full point in the next three to six months if the yield curve is right because they're pricing those cuts in right now. And to me, I think the Fed is going to take its cue from what's happening here and they are going to take a pause. I mean, obviously, even if they hike, they're probably going to say, we're going to hike and then this is it, we're going to pause. But if you're going to do that, if you're going to hike and pause, you might as well just pause and skip the hike because you're going to look just as foolish or actually more foolish, but it's going to be sending the same signal to the market, which is the rate hikes are done. And the point I wanted to make and I started to make about this is if we got inflation at 6% right now, after all these rate hikes, all we did was get inflation back down to 6%. And now we're done hiking rates and we're about to start cutting rates? What does that tell you about inflation? Where's it going from here? It's going up because we got no more bullets in the gun. In fact, you know, we're taking the bullets we shot and we're trying to reload the gun, right? We want to start cutting rates, but we're not cutting rates when inflation is below 2%. It's 6%. And we're going to start the next easing cycle when inflation is already 6%. So what I, I said yesterday when we got these numbers, the fact that inflation is still 
doesn't mean the Fed is winning the fight against inflation. It proves that it has already lost because they're done fighting and inflation is still 6%. Now, there's some people that say, well, you know, there's just a big lag. It's going to fall. No. I mean, we're, we still haven't even caught up to the QE1 and 2 yet. I mean, we have so much inflation in the pipeline, and now they've just barely started QE5. So the dollar is going to go down this time. Gold's going to go up. So it's going to look different than the 2008 financial crisis in how some of the markets react, some of, you know, some of the, the, the currencies and precious metals and various investments. And I know that during the 2008 financial crisis, initially people following my advice lost a lot of money. We actually lost a little bit more money than people who were just in the U.S. stock market because in 2008, the second half of 2008, foreign stocks actually went down more than U.S. stocks because the dollar went up so much. Now, my stocks rebounded a lot more in 2009 than the U.S. market did, in part because the dollar turned around and started to sell off. But the initial reaction was bigger losses abroad. That's not going to happen this time, in my opinion. In fact, year to date, the foreign markets are holding up better than the U.S. market already early in the crisis. And even though the dollar was up today, it's not going up. It kind of stopped going up. In fact, it's still on a downtrend. And gold is rising. It's not falling with the stock market. It is rising. Yes, gold stocks aren't rising, uh, but they will. Uh, people are still reluctant to buy because they still don't believe or don't get what's going on. Now, we got some more inflation news today. We got the February PPI. And here, when this came out this morning, people got some relief. They thought, aha, this means inflation is coming down because the PPI was actually cooler than expected. They thought we were going to get a 0.3% rise and instead, we got a 0.1% decline. And the year-over-year -year rise was 4.6, which was below the prior year-over-year -year of 6%. And the consensus was 5.4. And so it was, it, it was way lower than that. X Food and Energy, they were looking for up 0.4. They got flat. Uh, so this was good news. But you know what? It's all temporary because a lot of this is raw materials. Uh, those prices had come down. They are going to skyrocket when the Fed officially goes back to quantitative easing. We also got retail sales. Another weak number that shows recession, retail sales were down 0.4, which was slightly weaker than the 0.3 that they expected. Worse, if you X out vehicles, they were looking for a gain of 0.2. They got a loss of 0.1. And remember, this isn't adjusted for price. People are paying higher prices, so sales should be going up, but they're not. They're going down because volume is going way down. People are buying less, but they are paying more. Empire State Manufacturing for March came out way below estimates and way worse then the February number, which was minus 5.8, they were looking for minus 7.7. .7. They got minus 24.6, more than double the worst estimate. The range was from minus 3 to minus 11. So we got minus 24.6. So the economy is much weaker, and I've been talking about this. We keep on getting weak economic data, and inflation expectations are going up. They're still not high enough 
but the Atlanta Fed business inflation expectations year over year rose from 2.9 to 3.1. So even uh, the people in this survey are expecting inflation over 3%, nowhere near 2%, yet the Fed is about to embark on a highly inflationary monetary policy. We have not been at this point before. The Fed had the cover to pursue these policies. Now, yes, they got away with them a lot longer than I thought, but at least I knew they were making a mistake. And because of how long it took for these chickens to come home to roost, we were able to let loose a lot more chickens. So now there's a lot more of them that are coming home to roost. It's a much bigger problem than I imagined it would be. And I imagined it was pretty big, you know, back, you know, leading up to 2008. And once I saw what the Fed did, I knew that we were in for a huge day of reckoning. But as bad as I thought it was going to be back in 2009, 2010, it's going to be even worse now. And yeah, I know a lot of people are going to say, well, you know, but Peter Schiff, well, you've been predicting this for a long time. Yes, I know. I've been predicting it for a long time because it's been obvious for a long time. But instead of dismissing what I have to say, because I've been, you know, sounding the alarm for so long, why doesn't, why don't people dismiss what everybody else has to say, what the mainstream has to say? Because they've been saying everything is great. Everything is sunshine and lollipops, right? And yes, Maybe it appeared that way for a long time, and then there's a collapse. It doesn't mean that all the years that I was warning about a crisis and they were saying everything was great, that they were right because everything appeared great. No, no, no. They were wrong. They just didn't know it yet. They're the stop clocks because they're always bullish. They ignore the bad news. I see the bad news early on because I understand what they don't. I get basic economics. I get finance. They don't. Now, maybe they have an incentive to lie about it, because it conflicts with their own uh, business interests. So maybe there are some people out there that, you know, privately agreed with me, but publicly they didn't want to admit it. Uh, But regardless whether or not they're just incompetent or liars, I'm the one that has credibility on this, whether they want to acknowledge it or not. And a lot of the stuff that I said, you know, I saw, I don't know, it was the Young Turks or somebody, you know, did did a video and they were like, just really making fun of me because I came out and said people should buy gold. They said, look at this idiot shift telling people to buy gold. How long has he been saying buy gold? Like why? Because I was saying that your bank deposits aren't safe, which they're not, because inflation is going to destroy their value. And so I'm saying, hey, pull out your money from all the banks, even the ones where the government is guaranteeing the, the full amount, because the guarantee doesn't matter, because they only guarantee that you get your money. The government doesn't guarantee you that the money will have any value when you get it. You're just going to get the money. Whether or not you can buy anything with it, well, you know, they got no control over that. So if you want to have some safety as to your ability to buy something with your money, then you don't want it in fiat currency at a bank, no matter how many government guarantees you've got. You want to have real money. You want to have gold. Again, you want to buy some gold, call up shift gold. Again, a lot of people say, hey, shift, if you like gold so much, why are you selling it? I'm not selling any of my gold. My gold ain't for sale. I'm helping you buy other people's gold. Shift Gold buys wholesale and then sells retail. So we're not selling our own gold, right? <laughs> we're selling you somebody else's gold who's dumb enough to sell it. Now, I don't know how much longer people who have gold are going to be dumb enough to sell it. They're going to want to buy more too, and then the price is going to go way up. But the real opportunity, if you want to hit a home run, 
obviously you got to risk striking out, right? No guarantees. But if you want to go for the home run, don't just buy gold. Buy the gold and silver mining stocks. They were giving these things away today. Hard to believe that they were down. Uh, they'll probably still be down tomorrow. You have more time to buy the individual stocks, buy the Euro-Pacific Gold Fund. You know, read the prospectus. Make sure that you can handle the risks, right? You know, no pain, no gain. I mean, you're, you're, there are some risks here. But you got to decide, right? Because I'm comfortable with the risk because I'm sure that I'm right. Now, you know, I could be wrong. It's possible, right? Anything is possible. Uh, but I, I doubt it. And I think if you go back in time and look at the things that I've been saying over the years, just about everything that I've been predicting has either already happened, is in the process of happening, or is likely to happen. And all the things that everybody else said couldn't happen have either happened are in the process of happening or are about to happen, right? So I think I have a lot of credibility. And so I think if you're going to bet on somebody, I think betting on me makes a lot more sense. So talk to the representatives at Euro-Pacific Asset Management. We can help find out how our portfolio strategies align with your current investment portfolio and give you a plan. You can you know, adopt my strategy through my mutual funds too. You can do that at any brokerage house. You don't necessarily have to have an account with us, but it helps uh, to work with my representatives. Anyway, I want to wrap this up because I do have dinner plans tonight. My mother turns 82 and we're going out for an early dinner because I got to be back. I got more media later tonight. I think I'm doing Chris Cuomo's show uh, later tonight. You know, I am getting calls. I got a lot of international media. Uh, so some people, you know, are, you know, Looking at me now, they have some clue that, hey, you know, this guy's been saying this stuff and now, now it's happening. But I am also going to do the Q&A again for locals. I did it last time because, you know, the locals guys now, they're paying the five bucks a month, but everybody's getting to see the podcast or hear it live now, right? So you lost that one advantage, but you still get it commercial free if you listen later, right? The people on Locals can listen to the podcast tonight or tomorrow, and they just won't be a commercial there. But what I'm going to throw out as a bonus for now, because they are paying, right? So I got I to gotta give value. This is a free market, right? I, I got to provide value for money. And so I'm going to do a live Q&A uh, immediately following this podcast. It's supposed to start at uh, five o'clock, so I have a few minutes to, to catch my breath. But I'm going to be up on Locals doing another Q&A. And, of course, the people who are uh, members of my Locals community, um, even if they don't do the Q&A live, they could listen to that Q&A at their leisure later on because it will be up there uh, for them to, to listen to it and, and watch it because it's going to be a video format the same as this. So if you're not currently a Locals subscriber and you want to participate in the Q&A or just listen to the Q&A, then go over there now and sign up. Again, it's five bucks, one month. You don't like it, don't renew, right? You don't, you don't have to pay the five bucks every month. And I'm, you know, I'm sure I'm going to be doing more and more content as this financial crisis really starts to play out because clearly I'm already upping the frequency of these podcasts because there's so much more to talk about because so much is happening. And so you want to make sure that you're going to get as much of my content as I put out there because I do believe it's the best content out there to explain not only what's happening, but why it happened and what's going to happen next. Anyway, thanks for listening, and I'll be back again soon with another episode.
Thank you.